Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. I'm Pastor Bill. Good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, Pastor Mark, as you may or may not be aware of, as you can probably guess, is down in Mexico having a great time sawing and hammering, which is probably one of his favorite things to do. So I'm sure he'll have uh, some stories uh, to come and bring back to you about cuts and bleeding and blisters and all that good stuff, that blood and gore that he enjoys so much. Um, but we, I'm here today to carry on uh, the series that we've been doing, which is Discipleship 101. We've been looking at uh, how Jesus disciples people. And we looked at the four weeks. We saw that Jesus discipled people by uh, intentionality, by being intentional, by being relational, by being unflappable, and also by being hospitable. And so things don't get uh, sour or old or stale. We decided to switch up the words a little bit last week, and we decided to bring participles and ing words into it. So last week we talked about Jesus making disciples by entrusting the ministry into the hands of men and women, uh, common people, to do the work that Jesus uh, commissioned us to do. This morning we are looking at the issue of slowing or slowing down, which almost sounds con- you know, counterintuitive to the work of Jesus and the work of Chapel Hill, but we'll soon find through our stories here in Mark that it's not, in fact, counterintuitive at all. Um, we've also, for those of you that are new here maybe this, this morning or the last few weeks, we're also in the midst of a 90-day challenge in which we are uh, reading through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, taking one chapter a day and asking two questions. What do I learn about Jesus and what do I learn about disciple making? And so we're asking that, that question of us and it's really elicited quite a response from the congregation. We'll, we'll hear a little bit about that uh, more as we go. How many of you, by the way, just, just a show of hands, were able to do the readings Mark 8 through 14 last week? Any, anybody able to do some of the reading? Still quite a few people. Don't give up on this. We know it's 90 days long. If you miss a day or two, don't worry about it. Just pick up where we left off. So tomorrow would be Mark chapter 15 and then going into the Gospel of Luke. So stick with us on this. Today we're looking at how Jesus makes disciples by slowing down. Let's take a look here at the screen for a minute. Hey, good luck, Hare. <laughs> you better have a jet back under there, turtle. <laughs> it's tortoise, actually. All right, bask in my glory. On your mark. Get set. Later, Roadkill. <laughs> On your left. Coming through. <laughs> hey, me in, guys. Plot twist. Slow and steady mind. Wow. Read in the week, boys. Who's your turtle? Introducing the hair-raising power and performance of the Mercedes-AMG GT. It's no fairy tale. Well, quite obviously, we live in a world that's going faster and faster and faster, and even the tortoise is tired of going slow, slow and steady, you know, pooey wooey. So we're asking the question this morning, 
why do we have to practice making disciples by slowing down? I mean, certainly in this day and age in which technology is allowing us to, to do more and more things at a faster, more efficient rate, and our world seems to be getting faster and faster and faster, why would we have to slow down in order to make disciples? Certainly, uh, we should be able to accomplish the Great Commission more quickly, right, so that Jesus could return faster, The problem is that going faster doesn't always work for everything. And quite frankly, going faster often leads to a very frenetic, anxious lifestyle that doesn't help us make disciples uh, very well. This truth actually came home to me in a very dramatic way here a few weeks ago. Um, I was driving to St. Joe's Hospital in Tacoma. Uh, Because I'm new, I'm still getting to know where things are, and I had my GPS out. And immediately I missed the Sprague turnoff. And so I had to go up to Highway 5, uh, 705 in the city center uh, exiting there. I'm sure you all know where that is, where all that wonderful road construction is going on and the concrete barriers are on the side. And I'm moving along uh, with the traffic, uh, going north, and I I take a quick quick peek down at my GPS. And uh, then I look up in my rearview mirror in absolute horror. Because there, going perpendicular to the traffic, is a car that slams right into the concrete barrier immediately to my left. Where this car came from, I have no idea. And in what seemed like just a split second, but it kind of like was a slow motion movie reel going through, I watched in my rearview mirror as this car hit the barrier and literally just came apart. I mean, the All the metal came off the car, and the car hit so hard that it went up in the air and actually went backward and somersaulted backward a time or two and then landed on the ground. And I thought I was in the the middle of of a movie or some kind of stunt, but I soon realized that it was not a stunt. And this was a a real-life situation going on. And there's no way I could pull over. I was right in the midst of traffic going 60 miles an hour, and as soon as I could, I, I pulled over and just tried to get my breath back. I mean, I was so, um, it was so unnerving watching that happen and, and also pray for the person or persons who were in the car. And since that, that experience, I, I think it kind of did something to me. Um, I think it began to cause me to begin to reevaluate even some of my priorities and issues in life. And, you know, pastors talk about these kind of issues in life all the time, but when you're so close to something that could have been you rather than somebody else, you begin to realize that really the, the, the one or two things that matter are your relationship with God, that's what you're going to carry into heaven, obviously, and your relationships with people, because everything else can pass away in a heartbeat. And so suddenly physical things take on less and less value. And eternal, eternal things take on more value, including the people that we're with every day. And I think for me personally, it's kind of caused me, um, and maybe God's used this even unconsciously in my life in the last number of weeks, uh, to bring into sharper focus um, every encounter that I have with people. And it's really interesting because I've just sensed that the Holy Spirit is doing a great work in our church right now. And uh, as I've had opportunity to, to interact with people from Chapel Hill one-on-one and whatever the context has been, there's just been a real sense, it's a 
precious sense of the Spirit's presence in that, and it's been making a difference for me. So it really, it ties into this message that I want to talk to you about this morning, because the message I want to talk to you about is almost counterintuitive to everything else we've talked about. The message that I want to talk about this morning is about slowing down. And here, we're, we're, we've already commissioned a, a GO team to go to Cambodia, and we've got another team that's down in Mexico, 10% of our uh, worshiping community is not with us here this morning, all the youth and adults. And here, I've got a message this morning from the Gospel of Mark that has to do with slowing down. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I want to use the acrostic, slow, S-L-O, in case some of you that are really into taking notes, you're, where's the W? There's no W in this, it's just S-L-O. But this is just to kind of help you to remember some of these points of making disciples. And the first point is to simplify your life. In Mark chapter 10, we read the story of the rich young man. Um, If you've been doing some of the readings with us, you remember that this man came running up to Jesus as he was on his way to Jerusalem, and he knelt down before Jesus. It stops the crowd, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops, and he said, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. But to answer your question, you know all the commandments. You shall... You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall honor your father and your mother. And the man replied to him, teacher, I've done all these things since my youth. And then comes a phrase that Mark puts in a very short little phrase, sentence, that has always captured my attention. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, God always looks at us with eyes of love, no matter what he has to say. And that's a very important pregnant phrase, I believe, because what Jesus says in the following statement seem almost, almost harsh, maybe, to our words, to our ears. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. And then Mark adds, he said, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And I don't believe that Jesus was judging the man because he was wealthy. Jesus talks uh, with many other people in the Gospels who have wealth, and he doesn't tell them to sell all their possessions and give them all away to the poor. But in this particular case, he did that for this man. Why did he do that? You know, I believe that Jesus really did slow down. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He slowed down, and he stopped, and he spoke lovingly to this man. He looked into his eyes, and he put on what seems only Jesus has, which are these x-ray glasses where he seems to be able to penetrate into our the inner recesses of our heart and understand our motivations and what's going on there. And he realized that this man was worshiping a rival God. And that unless he gave up that God, he really couldn't follow Jesus. And he couldn't serve God with all his heart. And he really would never find the peace that he was so desperately looking for. Because why would he have run up to Jesus and knelt down and thrown himself in his path in the first place? He was doing everything the Ten Commandments said to do. But something was missing. 
And that something that was missing was that he worshipped a God other than the true God. And Jesus had to tell him. You know, it's a, it's a subject we Americans feel queasy about because we're raised to, to be productive. We're raised to do well. We're educated to get ahead, to accumulate. We've been blessed as a nation. We've been blessed as people. So the natural byproduct Scholars, biblical scholars call it redemption and lift. It's not just for Christians, it's for our whole culture. But this idea of you come to Jesus and your life changes for the better and God blesses you. You work harder, you live according to the commandments and the teachings of Jesus. And guess what? God blesses your life and what? You're getting richer. And that's, that's the story of America. Not that everyone's following Jesus, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. But one of the reasons that the American church isn't growing anymore, and we are not growing as a church in America, is because we have so much stuff. We have so much money that gets in the way of doing the things of the kingdom, much like making disciples. You know, this week, as our high schoolers and their adults, uh, adults are down in Mexico and they're they're building some houses for people. Um, some of those high school kids are going to have the first time experience ever of going to Mexico or being in a third world country. And for some of them, it's going to be life changing. They're going to look around and they're going to see other people in a different culture who don't have much stuff. And they're going to wonder how is it that these people, even in the midst of not having enough, uh, very much stuff, how is it that they seem to have a lot of joy in their life? And so a lot of them are going to, God is going to call them to be pastors and missionaries and people who are willing to work with the poor and people who are willing to help other people because they're going to realize that life ultimately isn't about how much money I make, how much stuff I can accumulate, because eventually all that stuff is going to go someplace and it usually winds up going someplace on our shelves or in storage units or in our garage and we don't even use it anymore. We've got to be the only country in the world that has so many cotton-picking storage units. (laughs) So when we talk about disciple-making and the importance of slowing down, one of the things that Jesus tells us to do is simplify our lives. We've got to simplify our lives so that we can spend more time in relationship with other people to talk about things that really matter. The L in slow stands for listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Um, Our scripture this morning uh, that we'll be reading together is from Mark 9, 2 through 8, and that's the story of the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up high on a mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. And then suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus with them. 
This is the word of the Lord. You know, biblical scholars love to look at the transfiguration and make comparisons and contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What we have here, obviously, representing the Old Testament, we have Moses representing the Ten Commandments, and we have Elijah representing all the prophets of the Old Testament. And Mark says that they were having conversation with Jesus, although he doesn't record any words there in that conversation that Moses speaks or that Elijah speaks. And then in the next scene, you hear the voice of God telling the disciples to listen to his son. And when that cloud is gone, who's there but Jesus and Jesus only? Moses and Elijah are gone. And scholars have looked at that and pondered the meaning of that, and they have basically come to the conclusion that Jesus supersedes everything before him. All the law of the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, and that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus completes their work and surpasses them. His ministry transcends all of their all of the revelation. So in the transfiguration story, God's word to the disciples can't be any more straightforward and clearer. This is my beloved son, the father says. Listen to him. And so we see Jesus making disciples by slowing down and taking his three disciples of his inner circle up to a very quiet, isolated place and letting them hear the voice of God who says to them, you know, from the father, listen to Jesus, listen to my son. So how do we hear the voice of Jesus in our lives? It's a, big, it's a big subject, much bigger than we have to cover today. Traditionally, though, the church has thought of hearing the voice of God in four ways. One, through Scripture. The second, through prayer. The third, through our circumstances in life. And the fourth, through God's people. Now, we don't have enough time to cover all of that today, but... One way that many people within our church have been hearing the voice of God has been through this 90-day challenge that we've been on. And it's been wonderful to hear the different testimonies that people will write on the back of their blue cards or send in in an email um, or, or just comment from Bible studies about how God is speaking to them. One illustration of this uh, happened recently with a woman who is a member of Chapel Hill here. And she called the church... And she, she um, asked if a, if a pastor could come and visit her roommate who was in the hospital with stage 4 cancer. And uh, our member was doing the 90-day challenge. And she had shared uh, many of the readings with her roommate who was in the hospital. And uh, her roommate got very excited, very enthusiastic. And she actually asked Our member, she said, is there any way one of the pastors from Chapel Hill could come and visit me here in the hospital? And this is a woman who'd never never been to Chapel Hill before. Uh, She comes from a different faith tradition. But she she seemed to want what our member had, that sort of enthusiasm and that inspiration from Scripture. So um, I happened to be the pastor who was on call that day. And so I had the opportunity to go and visit with this woman. And it was, it was a short exchange. Um, she had kind of different breathing masks on. It was, very, it was a short talk. 
But I could tell that one of the things that came up was that she was very anxious about her health condition. And uh, we, we talked for a short time, and I'd asked her if she'd like me to pray for her at the end of our conversation. And I said, would you like to surrender your life to Christ? Now, I, I don't say that in, in most conversations, but I, I felt led to do that in this, this short little time with her. Uh, because one of the things that she had mentioned um, was that she needed to let go of control. And uh, in her faith tradition, what it, for whatever reason, she hadn't really done a whole lot of Bible study. And so I, I wondered if she, the, this whole idea of having a personal relationship with Christ seemed new to her. So I just wanted to say, hey, w- would you like to give your life to Jesus? And uh, so we prayed together. And then I left. Uh, a number of days later, I asked the woman for our, from our church, congregation, how the woman was doing. And she said, you know what? She has a lot more peace in her life. She seems to have been able to turn over some of the control to the Lord regarding her health. And she's much more at peace about that. And so to me, that was um, a, a good illustration of how one of our members has been reading Scripture and hearing the voice of God as she's been reading Scripture and sharing that with another person and that having a profound effect on the life of another individual. So sometimes as we're reading the Gospels, we see Jesus very intentionally slowing down. And in some cases, like he did with the rich young ruler, he said that you need to simplify your life. And in another case, like in the situation of the transfiguration, we have to listen to Jesus. But there's a third way as well. The, the O in slow, S-L-O, stands for obey only Jesus. In that eighth verse in the transfiguration story, we read this. We say, suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they, only, they saw only Jesus with them. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the cloud disappeared, the only person left other than Peter, James, and John was Jesus. Moses was gone, and Elijah was gone. And this was a crucial event. This was a very, very important event for the disciples because they they needed to understand the significance of Jesus. They needed to understand that he was the number one authority that he was the long-awaited and anointed one of God, that he was and is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the name that is above every name. I think that one of the reasons this 90-day challenge is having such a profound effect on people is because people are studying, maybe sometimes for the first time, the actual words and the deeds of Jesus, who is our Lord. There is no other name greater than the name of Jesus. You know, I've I've noticed in the church, not this church necessarily, but in the, the large church, that sometimes as Christians we have a tendency to exalt our favorite religious authority, uh, whether it's a Bible teacher or a religious character. That was a problem, a very common problem in the church at Corinth. When Paul planted that church, some people, some Christians said, well, I'm a follower of Paul. And others said, well, I'm a follower of Peter. And still others said, well, I'm a follower of Apollos. 
And Paul had to redirect their attention. He had to correct them. And he said, look, I plant the seed. Apollos waters the seed. But God is the one who makes it grow. There is only one true everlasting authority, and that is the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. So as we enter this season of Lent, and Lent is traditionally a time when Christians slow down and we reflect on our lives and we ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to say to us about our lives? So as we practice the art of slowing here during this season of Lent, are you a person that maybe needs to simplify your life? Maybe you need to declutter your life a little bit, that your, your schedule is kind of chaotic. Maybe you lead a kind of chaotic life. Maybe you're a 24-7 kind of person, and you need to slow down in order to hear the voice of God in your life. Maybe you need to get rid of stuff. Because that stuff takes so much of your time that you're not able to really be a disciple maker. Maybe what the Lord's saying to you during this Lenten season is listen to Jesus more carefully. To hear God's voice speaking to you in your life through the scriptures. Like that member of our church who shared that with their friend. Or through prayer. Or through the circumstances that you're going through. Or through God's people. Or maybe you're a person who needs to obey only Jesus. Maybe you're a person like all of us. We have a lot of authorities, authoritative voices in our life. Maybe they're our supervisor. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's um, Fox News. Maybe it's TBN. We have many different voices of authority in our culture But the truth is, there's really only one true authority in our lives. And that's the person of Jesus. So maybe God's calling you during the season of Lent to slow down and to listen more carefully to that voice and to obey that voice above all the other voices that we hear. Because someday, as Paul has reminded us, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we confess it's very hard for us to slow down in the culture that we live in. It's counterintuitive for us because the world is telling us to go faster and faster, work harder and harder, play more and play more. And yet we see you in the Scriptures, Lord, often slowing down And speaking directly into a situation to a person that will profoundly change their life. Lord, I believe that we as a church want to be a church of disciple makers. And we know, Lord, that in in order to do that, we have to make some choices. Maybe there's some out here this morning that really do need to simplify their life in order for you to be Lord. And I pray that you would speak clearly to them about what that means. And maybe there are others of us here, Lord, that need to be slow down just in order to listen to your voice more carefully and to obey you more obediently. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your kindness and your love. You never 
You, you never speak harshly to us, Lord. You're loving. As you spoke lovingly to that rich young ruler, you looked at him with love and made a statement that could have transformed his life. Now give us ears to hear those kind of statements and a heart that's ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen.